This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, July 24th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from back in Connecticut, uh, Bruce Baldwin, Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my home in Montana. Taylor, you know, the Mondays, you never know. Uh, you know, is it going to be a, a, the baggage claim Monday or is the layover going to be long enough? That sort of thing. Based on the reaction I got to your podcast that you conducted here on Friday, maybe I should have just let you do the open today as well. Wow, Buster. I don't know, man. What do you think? It's, it's what big, do you think? big shoes to fill. I appreciate all the kind words that everyone sent uh, sent my way. Uh, yeah, it was a lot a of fun. Of reaction. Appreciate you for uh, for letting you let me jump in the chair here. It was it was a good time. I really enjoyed it talking to Sarah as well. I, and then you know we had some fun on the Bleacher tweets. So you know people who came to the podcast were like, oh no, this guy. He's, there was still Buster to be found. So a little bit of everything. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw the uh, the tweets and people were all fired up and they loved your the Homer part. Uh, you you uh, back in your Orioles, right? Yeah, it was going to be in the chair. You got to take advantage of it. Oh, absolutely! And it was a big day too because they won Game One of that series over the weekend, and I was I was all juiced up. We talked about it with David Schoenfield, and I'm glad the emotions came through. And I'm also glad no one was home because I was legitimately yelling as I did that part of the the open. And I must say, Bruce is a true fan because as we <laughs> take this, he's wearing a Mets cap. It's a hard thing to wear today after kind of an ugly series in Fenway. Bruce, we, we asked the question, this weekend series, uh, is the for sale sign up now with the 2023 Mets and some of their uh, veteran players? What do you think? Uh, that's, that's as you, as you, as we're, yeah, it's a very tough time for, for Mets fans right now. Personally, I'm just, I'm looking at the the bright future of enjoying Kodai Sega and Francisco Alvarez. Uh, those are the two guys I'm just like, all right, every at bat that, and every, every start for, for Sega. And I'm, I'm focusing on that and just, I try to stay positive. Well, and I must say, and I've said this on the podcast before, but the phrase till death do us part does not apply to any fan base more than the Mets fan base. Like there is total devotion. Yes. Is that yeah. fair to say? Oh, totally agree. Cousins, yeah. family, everything like that. It's Mets, Mets, Mets. Yeah. Even in an ugly year, you know, you, you, you love your team and that's really cool. All right. Angels and pirates, all of us wondering if the angels will actually sincerely put Shohei Otani out on the trade market. Now every day, it seems like he does something that amazes all of us. Next hits, and that's a shot that's hit to dead center field, and that one is a line drive home run. It is out of here. Shohei Otani with home run number 36 of the season. He's had 11 of them in his last 21 games, and that swing of the bat ties things up quickly. It's 1-1. And apparently Phil Nevin said to Otani something like, did you hit that with like a two-iron? Some kind of an iron golf shot. Did you see that home run, Taylor? It was apparently a 19-degree launch angle. It was just a line drive that got out. You could hear (laughs) Terry Smith in his call. Uh, how little time he had to actually describe what had happened. He's ridiculous. And I respect a man who can who can handle two iron. It's a lost art. So another thing Shohei Otani has got in his bag. Yeah, the Angels win this game 7-5. to five. They're now 6-3 and three since the All-Star break. And, I, and I'm glad to see that Phil Nevin has recovered from my uh, interview <laughs> of him last, uh, last Sunday. Somehow he got through it, right? So that's a relief. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, all right. Aaron Judge on Sunday faced live pitching for the first time since he suffered his toe injury in Los Angeles on June 3rd. He did not put any balls in play, but fouled off four pitches, including one to the upper deck behind home plate. Uh, manager Aaron Boone said that uh, for him it was some progress. There is no progress with catcher Jose Trevino, whose season is over. He told reporters that the other day. He's injured, so for the Yankees, it feels like they're hanging right at a razor's edge as to whether or not uh, they're going to be buyers uh, and add to try to add someone like Shohei Otani. They had a good weekend against the Kansas City Royals sweeping on Sunday. That was with help from Anthony Rizzo among four hits. High fly ball, deep right field, water's back, on the track, at the wall, see ya! Oh, did he need that! A home run for Rizzo! Yeah, it was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. The final score, 8-5. to five. The Cardinals' Adam Wainwright is expected to return to the Cardinals' rotation on Monday. The Rangers placed Corey Seager on the injured list after he sprained his right thumb on a head-first slide against the Dodgers on Friday. Based on what Seager said to reporters, he's hoping that he has avoided a serious, serious thumb injury. The Rangers also uh, have decided to give Nathan Avaldi some rest, and they're going to skip his next start. This is the time of year when you see them, uh, especially with veterans started, they get some fatigue. The Rangers played the Dodgers over the weekend, and early on, the Dodgers had a lead. Two ball, one strike offer, and Max swings, hits a drive to right field. It is back. It's a grand slam for Muncie. Maxwell swinging the silver hammer in the Lone Star State. 4 nothing Dodgers, top of the first. Tim Neverett, AM 570 LA Sports, but you know what? The Rangers would come back. Tavares cranks one up the alley in right center field. That drops for a base hit and rolls to the wall. Duran scores from third. Miller hits the bag. Tony Beasley waving him home. The relay throw to the plate is late. Miller slides in safely. It's a two-run double for Leone Tavares, and the Rangers lead 7-4. On their way to an 8-4 victory, the Phillies played the Guardians. They were tied going into the 10th inning, and Bryce Harper broke that tie. Aaron kicks and deals in the pitch. Ground ball up the middle. That'll get through. It's a base hit into center field. Rojas will come around to score. Turner all the way around to third base. And Bryce Harper has put the Phillies back in front here in the 10th. It's 5-4. to four. Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. The Phillies are going to win 8-5. to five. And by all accounts, I haven't seen much video of it. By all accounts, Bryce Harper had a good weekend defensively playing first base for the first time. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. And these days, the hottest tickets in baseball, any game involving the Orioles. They were in Tampa Bay over the weekend, and they got it done. Gunnar Henderson fed a lead in the top of the second. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball, driven well. Right field, Margot looking this one back, and it is way out of here. Oh, my heavens! That one landed near the tank and right near the Coca-Cola bottle on the walkway in right field. I think that one went off of it. It did. It did. Oh, my heavens! Gunnar Henderson break out the tape measure, a stat cast special that has the Orioles up three to nothing in the second. That from WBAL. Now the Rays would tie the game 
But Ryan O'Hearn, who has been a, re- a revelation in Baltimore, got a big hit in the top of the six. O'Shea fires. O'Hearn out towards left field. Fair or foul heading for the wall. It dings off the pole, and it's a home run for Ryan O'Hearn. This guy is having an unbelievable season with the Orioles. A leadoff shot. And Poche has only given up three all season. But O'Hearn gets him here to take back the lead for three Orioles. And the Orioles win the game 5-3. to three. Uh, They take 2-3 to three against Tampa Bay. Taylor, how are you feeling about your squad? Buster, for the first time all year, I'm not feeling like panicky or jittery. Like I'm feeling legitimately confident, and it's a it's a brave new world we're in right now. Which is feeding into your decision to go to Baltimore and and uh, for next week's Sunday night baseball game, yes, Orioles sir. Yankees. Yes, sir, Buster. We're gonna have a little friendship time. You, me, Sarah, and Todd Radom. Oh man, we're gonna go out to dinner on Saturday. I mean, I'm I'm jazzed for this, man. We're gonna do the podcast. In Camden Yards after the game in one of the TV boots. You got to follow Buster on Instagram because I think whatever like our main interview is, whether it's with Carl, Eduardo, whoever, we're going to put that whole thing on your Instagram page for people to watch. We'll tweet it out too. Okay. But, but yeah, I think we're going to do some good video stuff. Me and Sarah are going to do some man on the street bits. Uh, we'll post man. to Buster's Instagram. We're, we're feeling ambitious. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it, it, I can't wait. Uh, I'll be arriving in Baltimore uh, midday, and, and it's going to be a blast, the two days there. Braves, Brewers, and the Braves were down 2-1, to one, top of the eighth inning, and then this happened. First pitch on the way to Ozzy Albies, and he hits a high fly ball out to deep left center field, back to the wall. Ozzy wrecks that thing! A three-run homer! And the Braves take the lead in the eighth! Ozzie Albies got some pop. That from 680, the fan, the Braves went 4-2. Cubs and Cardinals, and a guy is being talked about a lot in trade discussions, had another moment. Swung on and driven to center field. Going back is the center fielder, Carlson. He looks up. It's in the basket. Cody Bellinger on fire all month long and delivers a two-run homer here in the first the Cubs up 2-0, and this place is hopping. Now, that was the Cubs radio network. It was not Pat Hughes, though, because he was honored at the Hall of Fame over the weekend. We'll be talking about that with Tim Kirchin coming up, as well as all the trade talks that's going on around baseball. The Blue Jays against the Mariners. Toronto trying to hang in the American League wildcard race, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did it again. The 0-1. Guerrero charges the ball down the right field line. That ball is gone. Sneaks it over the wall, and we are tied in Seattle. Homers on back-to-back days for Vladdy. Now his team leading 17th of the season. It's 2-2. That from Sportsnet 590, the fan of Blue Jays win 4-3. The Sunday night game, Red Sox and Mets. Mark Canna had himself a day defensively. Line drive, and that's a base hit left field, and that hits the base of the green monster. Canna up with it. Throw to second, tag there, out. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's his third assist of the night. (laughs) Don't run on Mark Canna. No. Do not. That, of course, is Boog Shami, the legend, with Doug Lanville on ESPN Radio. 
Yeah, we're going to try to put that number into perspective. Three assists, nearly four. He had another opportunity on a play that you potentially could have challenged. Uh, and, you know, great night at a time when a lot of other teams are looking at him uh, for a as a possible trade target. But it was a night for the Red Sox and for Raphael Devers. Here's a swing and a high fly ball. Crushed right field, way back and gone. Devers unloads over the bullpen of the Red Sox out there in right. And he slowly trots around the bases for Rafael Devers, his 24th, and there was no doubt about it. Final score there was 6-1. to one. Now, Devers were microphone for us in the top of the third inning. Uh, this was Devers talking about the moment he heard about the Red Sox contract offer last year, $313.5 million. $300 million to remind people of the contract. Yeah, just, just uh, $300 million. When you were told at the table in the Dominican Republic in front of your agents mm -hmm. and the leadership of the Red Sox, and they threw out that number, what was your reaction? No, los ojos se me pusieron grandes. De que dijeron 300, dije, wow. <laughs> he said, my eyes got really big, Let's and see. I got impressed. What it look how, like? big, how big were your eyes? Show us. Yeah, he was really impressed with the offer, and um, besides him opening his eyes uh, really big, really impressed and, and, you know, just trying to make this contract uh, worth its while. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshen. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkshen covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, we're going we're gonna to dive into some storytelling, which is what you always have to do the day after the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yes, and you were just up in Cooperstown. Yeah, I had a great time. Um, 
by May. I was much more relaxed this time than I was a year ago. And I got to see dozens of Hall of Famers, but mostly I got to see our pal Pat Hughes, great broadcaster. He was elected, Ford Frick Award, and our dear friend John Lowe, who won the uh, uh, Career Excellence Award for baseball writers. So it was a tremendous weekend in Cooperstown. The weather was great. Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff both were nervous as could be about their speeches, and they both crushed them. So I was so happy for them because they were they were filled with anxiety, and I understand that, but they did really well. Okay, so I want you to give a little flavor of Cooperstown a story uh, in a moment, but first I got to ask you: when fans stopped you this year and they asked for your autograph, did you add HOF underneath your you know Tim Kirkchin when you signed the autographs? Uh, only if they asked me to, Buster. I, I thought you it would be did. rude. You I did? Would... Did they ask you for that? Uh, several of them did. I, if they don't ask, I don't write it because it's pretentious and I'm not going to do that. But if they ask, then I feel I'm obligated, especially when I'm in Cooperstown. I'm standing right there. So, yes, I signed HOF 2022 or or BBWAA winner or something like that. I did that a few times. Taylor, you got to weigh in here. I mean, you, you know, you've known Tim, you, you've heard Tim, and now we know that if you ask, he will sign HOF at the bottom. Tim, I actually feel like you should be flaunting this. I mean, how many people are in the Hall of Frickin' Fame, dude? Come on. All right. Well, Taylor, technically, I'm not a Hall of Famer. I was honored <laughs> by the Hall of Fame, not inducted. I'm not one of the players. There's a there's a distinction there. Mm. So, um, look, I'm just doing what I I just don't like saying no to people, especially when they want something really nice. So I gave them what they wanted. Yeah, except for the demand when this year we came into the podcast and through his people, we heard that he has to be introduced as Hall of Famer, Tim Kirchner. Ah! Oh, I'm totally kidding. Yeah, Tim Tim, and I, I get it, you know, because Tim's right. Like, he is technically not a Hall of Famer, you know? Uh, our friend Peter Gammons, I remember that's that's when I learned that. Because if anybody was going to be Hall of Famer among writers, it would be Peter Gammons, and he was the first one to say, no, I'm not actually a Hall of Famer. Right. And neither am I. So let's leave the discussion alone. But when someone has a baseball and says HOF 2022, could you please sign that? I'm not about to say, no, I'm not going to do what you want. So I did. Well, I understand why they would ask. It increases the value of all the collectors out there, you know, with your autograph. Okay. Tell me a great story that you heard over the weekend. One, a favorite story that you heard in recent days, because I'm assuming you had conversations with other Hall of Famers. Well, yeah. So I talked to Pat Gillick and Pat Gillick told me that Ricky Henderson was a left-handed hitter until he was about nine years old. I'm not sure how I missed this, but wow. Ricky Henderson was a, was a left-handed hitter. And then he went to like a camp for baseball kids at eight or nine years old. Everyone there was batting right-handed. So that's how he became a right-handed hitter is that everyone else was hitting right-handed. So he did that. And I saw Ricky and he confirmed that. Pat Gillick also told me that when scouting a kid, this isn't going to have the same oomph without the kid's name or any backstory to it. But he went to scout a kid who was a college player. The kid listed himself as a switch hitter. 
and yet he batted right-handed against a right-handed pitcher. So Pat went to him after the game and said, you list yourself as a switch hitter here. And he said, well, I am. I bat right-handed against right-handed pitchers and left-handed against left-handed pitchers. Buster, oh I've never God. heard anything like that. I, I still couldn't understand that. And then Wade Boggs came up to me, and this is classic Wade Boggs, but I love him for it. He got me in a headlock, as he often does at the museum, and he said, no one will ever get 200 hits and 100 walks in four consecutive seasons ever again. Because that's what he did. And maybe he's right. If you get 100 walks today, you usually don't get 200 hits. And if you get 200 hits like Luis Arise is going to get, you're not walking close to 100 times. So that was Wade Boggs's, uh, That's that was his proclamation. No one's ever doing that again. Okay. Uh, and it's in. And I'll, I'll take that challenge on. There's one player who jumps to mind for me who might do it at some point during his career. I don't know, you know, four straight years, but he might do it once, twice, three times. I'm curious to see if you agree with me because my mind was going through the Rolodex of, of, of current hitters. And you know who I landed on was Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah, he because his walk rate is way up now. Way up. And he's become a much better hitter. That means fewer strikeouts, more walks, possibility. Certainly Freddie Freeman gets his share of walks. He's a 200 hit guy. He's a possibility, but four years in a row, maybe Boggs is right. It was very interesting. All right. So here's my story that I gleaned from over the weekend. And I just love these things. I asked Alex Cora, you know, who's, you know, uh, is, is sort of like a, a big brother, uncle type for Rafael Devers. He's meant so much for, for Rafael Devers in his career. And so I asked him about the time last year, the, his conversations with Devers after he heard about the contract that Devers got, $313.5 million. What was, you know, Rafi's reaction? And I didn't know this story. I'd never heard it anywhere. I haven't read it anywhere. But Alex tells the story about how the Red Sox brass all flew down to Dominican Republic uh, you've got John Henry there. You've got Hein Bloom. You've got Sam Kennedy. You've got Alex. And when they walk in the room to present an offer to him, and Rafi doesn't know what the offer is going to be, Rafi like looked over at Alex, like sit next to me, sit next to me. He was like the you know a shy son who wants his dad sitting next to him. And so then Sam Kennedy and Heim and they start talking about how you know Rafi. As he, they move forward, he's going to be the centerpiece of what they envisioned for the organization. And then they throw out the number, $313.5 million. And you know Rafi Devers with his face. He's got the big smile. He's right. always having fun. He apparently uh, gawked, like big open mouth, and he's like staring around like $313.5 million. <laughs> and Alex who's been like his, his, you know, as they say, like his big brother is like, almost like, like, don't react. Don't give them the leverage. (laughs) But Rappi was so happy getting that contract from the Red Sox, Tim. Well, isn't it refreshing, Buster, for someone to react like that? Because that's how they all react, even if the first offer isn't the best offer. When someone offers you $313 million, the only thing you can do is open your mouth and go, wow, that was very honest. Yep, I, I absolutely loved it. All right, we went into the trade deadline talking about how it was going to be crucial for the Angels uh, to get off to a great start after the deadline. 
And you know what, Tim? They've won six and nine games. They're still, I think you'd agree with me, sort of hanging on the fringe of the wild card race. Their chances to make the playoffs, according to fan graphs, are under 10%. But it really, I think, puts pressure on Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, who's going to make this decision in terms of what he's going to do next. What's your read on this situation? Well, I had a discussion yesterday with two colleagues. One said, you can't trade him. And the other said, you have to trade him. And I think <laughs> I think that's where we are right now. I, the opposites on this are so stark because I certainly understand that the Angels have to exhaust every possibility to keep him. And still, I think the best chance they have is to somehow miraculously make the playoffs and then show them, hey, we made it, and we're going to make it next year and a few years after that also. Maybe that won't be enough, but I think they have to hold out and say, we're going to try, we're not going to trade him before then. But, of course, the other side is even stronger that – what if you don't make the playoffs? What if you don't trade him? What if you just lose him for a draft choice? How can you justify this? I've given this uh, hours of thought, Buster. This is the most complicated, the most difficult decision any owner slash GM has ever had to make because of the player we're dealing with and all the circumstances around it. So my guess for the moment is they're not going to trade him. They're going to try to win with him. And if they don't, it may end up being a risk that they deeply regret. But how can you trade Shohei Otani when there's at least a sliver of a chance that you can make the playoffs and maybe convince him to stay? And, Tim, I've got an ownership source uh, who knows Artie well who said exactly what you just did, that he feels like that Artie understands the value of Otani to the Angels uh, franchise and as long as he believes there's a chance that they're going to keep Otani or can keep Otani in free agency, as long as the door hasn't been slammed in his face by Nez Balelo, his, his agent, uh, by Otani, he's going to keep him. And he's going to try to convince him to stay. Um, and, and look, we know this. His agent's not going to slam that door because it reduces his leverage ever so slightly. Uh, and, and so that's... This person who knows him says that he thinks that Artie's going to keep him through the, through the trade deadline, keep him into free agency, and hope and pray that uh, with a Hail Mary that they're going to wind up uh, retaining him as a free agent. But on the other hand, and I know you have these conversations too, every every front office person who works in baseball operations, from their perspective, is easy decision. you got to trade him. You have to trade him. You right. can't let him get away for nothing. Right, but they don't have him, and that's the difference. And in spring training, someone who would know, trust me, said, people don't think we have a chance to sign him long-term, and we do. And and that's a guy with the Angels saying, we have a chance. It wasn't a great chance, but as long as you have a chance, I don't think you can give it up. Okay, so if he's traded, let's play this out. If Artie Moreno decides in the next eight days, you know what? Yeah, front office, go out, take offers, nearness, sincerely tell other teams we're willing to trade him. Um, you know, which teams, in your mind, have the best chance? Because I'll give, give you what I've heard. Uh, someone who knows Artie well told me there's no chance he trades him to the Dodgers. There's slightly less chance uh, that he would trade him to the Rangers or the Astros, division rivals, the Yankees might be a candidate, but you know what? They don't necessarily have all the, you know, the sort of prospects that, 
that might drive a deal that remains to be seen. And I've had so many people look at the Tampa Bay Rays and say, that's the team to watch in this situation. What do you hear? Yeah, I've heard the same thing, Buster, that the Rays are now in this situation where they say, look, we're this amazing young franchise that wins games and everything, but we've never won the World Series and it's time to do that and maybe Otani can deliver it. I've had people say they could give up five young players who won't even disturb the major league roster, give them five really good young players and, um, and, and get Otani. And then they would have a real chance to win the world series without disturbing their major league roster. If that's indeed the case, then I think the the Rays jump up to be the leader in this category. And Eric Neander was, was quoted recently or interviewed recently, and he made it clear, we got to win now. We got to win. Well, Otani's your best chance to win. Yeah, and this there is a perfect comp for the situation uh, with the 2014 Oakland Athletics, who traded for John Lester. You remember that. And that was kind of a shocker that the Athletics at that time, small market team, made that move. I think Billy Bean thought that, you know what, we, we got to go for it. We've never won in the playoffs. John Lester will give us a chance. And, of course, Tim, how many games did they last in the postseason? One. That's, That's right. And I wonder right. if – I know Eric is so good and so thorough at his job. I do wonder if he'll call Billy and say, hey, in the end, benefit of 2020 hindsight, how did you feel about that? Because that's a hard thing for a small market franchise to do, Tim, to bet on a lottery ticket with, you know, three, four, five prospects. Right. And Buster, this is not a really good basketball team acquiring Michael Jordan in his prime. Michael Jordan touches it on every possession. You get him in his prime to your team at the trade deadline. You likely are going to win the NBA championship, but it doesn't work that way in baseball. Even if, even if Otani is Michael Jordan, it's a different game. Everyone has to bat. He can't pitch every single day, and therefore he doesn't guarantee that you're going to win the World Series, but he sure gives you a much better shot at it. All right, so did the Mets with their weekend series against the Red Sox officially move into the seller category because – Tim, it was ugly, and it felt ugly, and it felt like that they were kind of dead in the water. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that a week ago, um, and I think, they, I think they're going to sell, and now I actually think they should sell. Now, again, uh, do they have enough to sell to really make it worth it? If they find out it's not worth selling Mark Canna and a couple of – and, you know – Uh, David Robertson and getting people back in returns. If it's not good enough, you might as well hang on to them. But I think they will sell. I think the more interesting thing is, is Verlander on the move? Is Scherzer on the move? We're not sure about either one with no trades. Plus, I got to think, Buster, the the Mets are going to have to pay to get rid of those guys. And if they do that, where is their rotation for next year? What is their starting pitching situation if they were to trade one or both of those guys? Now you got Senga and a bunch of question marks because I don't think there's anything in the system that is ready to come up and fill a rotation spot. No, and yeah, and they did. They're certainly going to have guys who are going to be coveted. Tommy Pham, as you know, is having a, a good year. He's hit the ball hard like crazy. He's watched him take batting practice yesterday, and I said to him afterward, it's like you're hitting a two-iron these days. Uh, you know, Buck Walter raves about his toughness. I mentioned on the podcast the other day, I think the Mariners 
could be the potential landing spot for Canna. They're going to be a bunch of teams on Robinson or Robertson. There's going to be a bunch of teams on Brooks Raley. And to answer your question about uh, Scherzer and Verlander, everything I got from over the weekend was it would be so hard and complicated to trade Scherzer and or Verlander that it almost certainly is not going to happen because not only, uh, you know, would the two players, these two veterans have to waive their no trade clause, but then they would have to figure out all the money uh, with the, you know, both these guys being owed $14 million for the last two months of the season. You got next year with Verlander, he's under contract. Uh, You know, Scherzer has that player option. You'd have to be comfortable with the compensation. People I've spoken with with other teams are wondering how good is Max right now? If you acquire him, it's not necessarily a slam dunk. He's going to help you. He's leading the National League in home runs allowed, Tim. There's so many layers to this that I just think it's too complicated, especially in the confined, uh, you know, window that we always have before these trade deadlines. Yeah, I think Scherzer and Verlander stay also also in part because you look at the free agent market after this season as far as starting pitchers go. And if, if you don't get Otani uh, and, you know, the, the Dodgers don't let uh, Urias go, uh, I'm not sure there's enough help there for the, for the Mets if they lose two quality but aging starting pitchers. At this point, the Red Sox have to be buyers, right? Uh, and yeah. then bullpen help, rotation help maybe. Yeah, they're the Red Sox. You can't give up in Boston. They have the best record in the American League in the month of July. They played awfully well lately. They're back in the race. You know, there are certain places, New York, St. Louis on some smaller level, Boston, where you just you just can't give up because you're the Red Sox. So I think they're going to buy, and I think they should buy. And it's interesting because they're really kind of in a similar position in the standings that they were a year ago when they traded Vasquez and added fam and that kind of that funky uh, trade deadline that they had last year. And yet it feels different because of the two young players, because of Jaron Duran and because of Tristan Cassis, because of how well they played. I don't have updated numbers through last night's game, but going into that game, according to our friend Sarah Langs, they ranked one and three, Duran one, Cassis three in OPS, Tim, since uh, the beginning of July. That's yeah. pretty impressive. And you see those plate appearances. They're killing the ball. Right. Going into last night, Cassis was 13 for his last 30 with five home runs. And only rookie ever to hit two home runs off of Max Scherzer in one game. I mean, that kid is really coming along. And the improvement of the center fielder has been ridiculous because he really – he was so good when he came up, so much promise. Then he hit a terrible slide. And now he's back. Very impressive. All right, the Baltimore Orioles, from what I hear from other teams over the weekend, they're going to be measured buyers. What I'm getting from other teams is the Orioles have signaled they're willing to deal from their position player depth, add some pitching, but folks with other teams don't expect the Orioles to make a big move based on the conversations and, and what they're hearing. What do you think? Yeah, I think they should make a big move, but the, the blueprint is still there. Do not disrupt the farm system. And I, let's just say the big move is Marcus Stroman or, or Lucas Giolito. I mean, a sure, rental. Those, a yeah, rental. A rental, rental starting that, That's all it is. And is that going to be enough to give up somebody really good and somebody really young who's a part of the future, the amazing future that the Orioles have? So my guess is – if I were them, I would go for this because I think if they were to get one of those guys and they were to pitch really well, I think the Orioles could could literally go to the World Series 
with this team. But I don't think they're going to do this because I think the word measured, as you put it, that's what they're going to do. They're going to add a couple pieces and maybe they need another bullpen guy because of the way they've worked those two guys at the end. But it's going to be really interesting to see what the Orioles do. So a refrain that you've heard and I've heard, and I think this would apply to both the Rays and the Orioles is, and I hear this from people who've been in the game a long time, you can't take for granted your opportunities to win. If you have a chance to win and your team's poised because all of that can be blown up by injuries and you know trades and contract disputes and players going through personal stuff. If you have an opportunity to win, Tim, you got to go for it. Right. Tim, Earl, uh, go Earl, ahead. Weaver, Earl Weaver used to tell me that all the time. When you got a chance to win this year, you you take it, and then you figure out next year, next year. And with, with the way the Orioles are playing right now, I think they have to add because imagine that jolt of energy they would get if a frontline starting pitcher walked in that room and they all already have the best record in the league. Taylor, we're obligated to hear from you about the Orioles and whether or not they go big or whether they should be measured buyers. They got to go big, man. I mean, I, we talked about it last week, all the the fake Shohei Otani trades out there. I mean, Marcus Stroman. I, I, I mean, even Cedric Mullins, who knows when he's going to be back? What if they put something together for Cody Bellinger and, and Marcus Stroman? I mean, they should make a big move, man. I'm a believer after this weekend taking that series from the Rays. All right, let's talk about the Cubs, Tim. From what I understand, talking with teams, the expectations, they are going to move Bellinger. They are going to move Stroman. Uh, and I think they're going to do pretty well because I think they happen to have, you know, arguably if you take Otani out of the mix and maybe even keep him in the mix, uh, Stroman's the best available starting pitcher. And I think Cody Bellinger right now, other than Otani, is the best available hitter. What do you think? Well, Bellinger's got seven homers in his last 14 games, and he's hit well over 400. I think it's 457 in the month of July. Plus, he can play all three outfield positions. He can play first base. He's still a gold glove caliber defender. And I think they should move him because I think the, I think you're right. I think he's going to be the best player, position player moved, and Stroman has a chance to be the best uh, pitcher moved. The Cubs certainly not aren't out of this, and they played better lately. So it's I still don't think it's the easiest thing for them to do to take two of their best players and move them. But it, I think they will, and I think they should. All right. So over the weekend, you were in Cooperstown, as we've talked about. Give me a, a thought, an anecdote, a memory of Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff, two of the newest members of the Hall of Fame. Well, I, again, I had really nice chats with both of them. They were scared to death to do their speeches, and they were so good. Look, Fred McGriff should have hit 500 homers if it weren't for the work stoppages. Uh, I talked to Maddox and you know Smoltz about him, that when he arrived and hit fourth for us every day, it changed the look of our lineup um, Fred McGriff should have been a Hall of Famer many years ago. Only I ever did 30 homers for five different teams. And and that that is what hurt him in his Hall of Fame because you can't look at him and say, you know, he's the best player the Blue Jays have ever had or he's the best first baseman the Braves have ever had because he didn't spend a long enough time there because he moved around because everybody wanted him. So to me, that's who Fred McGriff is, a, a, just a tremendous run producer, a guy who's going to knock in a run uh, like every single game as opposed to going two weeks, striking out all the time, and then getting really hot for three weeks. Um, 
Scott Rowland, after Brooks Robinson, Nolan Arenado is the greatest defensive third baseman I've ever seen. He's a better offensive player than people give him credit for. He was really good as a young player, early 20s. He was still really good deep into his 30s. And I am not, I was surprised it took him that long to get in. I used to love to watch him play third base. And Buster, these are little things, but nobody ran the bases better than him. And I loved it more than anything that he put his head down after every homer and ran around the bases like you're supposed to. So if you were to draw up a list of of the players most impacted negatively by the steroid era, I think Fred McGriff would have to be in the top 10. You know, he was... Go ahead. You're, you're right, Buster. There's a big difference between 493, which is Lou Gehrig's number, and 500. And given that we, we all think that McGriff did it cleanly, so he shouldn't be lumped in, he got hurt as much as from the steroid era as anyone. Exactly. Yeah, so I covered Fred McGriff in 93 with the Padres when in that year of the fire sale, you know, when they traded, that was the year they traded him to the Braves. And, you know, at those were the time – uh, that was the time, as you know, that the home run numbers were starting to explode. And so his consistent 30 to 35 home runs just looked different after that. When you had, you know, Sosa, McGuire, et cetera, changing the bonds, changing the bar. And I had this conversation. I happened to be on a, on a plane a few years ago. It's sitting across the aisle for me. It was Fred McGriff. I can't think it was coming back from an all-star game or something like this. And it was so clear that he had – a great pride in the fact that he made a different decision than a lot of people made during the steroid era, and he stuck to his guns. And the reason why he was especially affected by this, Tim, and you know, is the fact that because of what happened the steroid era and the baseball writers trying to figure out what they're going to do with the voting, uh, his voting percentage was pushed down because you had all those Hall of Fame uh, candidates who were linked to PEDs recycle every year. Uh, onto the ballot, you know, in the, in the conversation every year. And so Fred McGriff was always weighed against those guys and pushed down to, you know, number 11 or number 12 or number 13. He never got, when he was being considered by the writers, Tim, he never got a fair look. He never got a look based on his merits. And so right. to have him be able to make a speech that other guys who made different choices are, have not been able to make, I'm happy for Fred. Yeah, me too. And again, he did a great job there. He conducted himself beautifully, presented himself beautifully, and the words he used in his speech uh, sums up exactly what you're talking about. All right. And I want to hear from you about our friend John Lowe, who, of course, worked for years at the Detroit Free Press. Uh, Tell me about his joy, because no one loved baseball more than him. Yeah, you you never stayed at the Bond Court Hotel in Cleveland, Buster. It was probably gone by the time you got there. But I stayed there multiple times, and so did John Lowe. So he checks in, like, on a Tuesday night at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning after some impossible trip. And the lady at the front desk asks him, are you here for business or pleasure? And John predictably says, business, but it's a pleasure. And that kind of sums up who John is and always will be. Our, our friend Tyler Kepner asked John at the little press conference before John spoke, like, how did you keep your enthusiasm when you covered a lot of bad teams in your career? In typical John Lowe, he said, 
I was working for an institution, the Detroit Free Press, covering an institution, the Detroit Tigers. And he said, I, I, that's all I have to think about every day is I owe my readers, I owe everyone involved my very best, whether the team's good or bad, because I'm working for an institution and covering an institution. Beautifully said by John Lowe. You think that John now moving forward will sign his name and put HOF underneath? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure John Lowe will. He won't even sign an autograph because he would say, you know, this is for Jack Morris or this is for Johnny Bench or this is for somebody who really deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not a Hall of Famer. I'm just honored by the Hall of Fame. No, that's awesome. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster, talk to you soon. We want to play some sound from the Hall of Fame speeches on Sunday. Here was Scott Rowland reminiscing about his career. My major league career started on August 1st in 1996 on a scorching hot day in Veterans Stadium in a doubleheader against the St. Louis Cardinals. That day, my parents drove overnight from Florida. They made it to the first game of the doubleheader in the top of the fourth inning. The greatest moment of my career happened that day. Seeing mom and dad walk to their seats from my position at third base was a feeling never topped again in my 17 years. My career ended on October 11th, 2012 with a lonely walk back to the dugout after striking out to end our Reds playoff run as the San Francisco Giants celebrated on our home field. It was certainly not a jeterish moment by any stretch. So there are many stories to tell and much baseball played between those two dates. But personally in that time, I became a man, a husband, a father. Now, before the ceremony, I spoke with Terry Francona, who, of course, managed Roland when he broke into the big leagues with the Philadelphia Phillies. And he remembered Roland's parents driving a Winnebago to go and see Roland play. He talked about how great his family was. Roland talked about that. Baseball was my career, but it is not my story. My story begins and ends with the people sitting in front of me. My role models lived in the same house as me. With eyes and ears open, and for the most part, I hope my mouth shut, I witnessed firsthand the deep love and caretaking of my mother, my father's patience and sacrifice, my sister's strength and fierce loyalty, and my brother's optimism and perseverance in all challenges. That house was a modest home with a sunken living room, two lazy boy recliners, and a wood-burning stove that was pumping ungodly heat at all times. It was located in a value-driven, hard-working, supportive community in Jasper, Indiana. This is where I grew up. This is where I dreamed of being a Major League Baseball player. Here's Fred McGriff relating how he found out he was a Hall of Famer. I will never forget getting that call from Jane last December. About a month earlier, I talked to the Hall of Fame folks about how this voting works. They told me, if elected, I'll receive a call before it was announced on MLB Network. So when my phone rang and my caller ID showed us from the Hall of Fame, with my wife and daughter at home, I slipped into my office and closed the door. I answered the phone and heard Jane say, congratulations, you've been unanimously elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. It was the best phone call of my life. I went back into the living room where my wife and daughter were. I didn't tell them about the news. I played calm, like I knew nothing. I just told them, they're going to announce who got into the Baseball Hall of Fame at eight o'clock on MLB Network, so let's turn it on. Believe me, it was pure joy and happiness on my wife and daughter's face when it was announced that I was the next electee to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Then they both looked at me and said, you knew. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. 
That's why you get to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Monday? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Uh, so I'm, I'd love to do this. I'd love to put you in position of authority, uh, a decision maker. So I, I need to know if after what you saw from the Mets over the weekend in that ugly series, three games in Fenway Park, when they just look really listless, if you were in the in in the the the, uh, the mind of Steve Cohen, would you at this point say, "Yeah, that's it. It's time to sell." I think so. I mean, again, I'm so glad I'm not the person who has to make these decisions. I know that fan bases get frustrated. And there's so many sort of intangibles that go along with it, but I mean. It's not even specifically about that series and the way the team look, but looking at the standings, looking at how good the Braves are, looking at the Dodgers coming back on strong and the Dimebacks still being good, the Brewers starting to gain steam. There's a lot of really good teams in the National League. Feels like there are more good teams in the NL than a month ago just feels like a lot of teams have really gained momentum and it just feels like a little bit too much of an uphill battle. Yeah. And I, it feels like now that the most important thing for the Mets going forward is they got to play their young guys. You know, we were reminded of this when we were our meeting with Alex Cora last night before the game, he mentioned, you know, Rafi Devers, we all remember the home run off of Roldis Chapman when he was a young player, but he was a platoon player early in his career. They pinch hit for him in the world series, Austin Riley, you know, who is a guy, top 10 position player, probably in the National League at this point, has had so many peaks and valleys as he learned to grow. Uh, look at the two Red Sox guys who are going off. Duran, Cassis, like those guys have had some real struggles. You just have to give them opportunities to play. And if the Mets believe in Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, and that's not so much a question about Alvarez at this point, but, you know, Vientos, 
to me, you just, the rest of the year, you pencil those guys in every day. What do you think? Absolutely. And you say, you know, with Alvarez, it isn't a question anymore. And that's true a hundred percent. But when he was called up, it didn't even seem like it was necessarily for good. When yeah. he was first called up, it was due to circumstance. And I remember all the headlines, all the stories being that he was here for now. And he got to play every day and looking at me as the second most a month vending catcher age 21 or younger in a season. He has shown himself to learn on the job. He's gotten better defensively, all that. So I do think that with where they are right now, as you said, happy to have Bandos playing every day, figure out down AAA what's going to happen with Ronnie Mauricio who continues to crush the ball, but of course doesn't really have a position at the MLB level because of Francisco Lindor. Figure out what's going on with them. And the other thing is, I mean, expectations are really something. If you didn't know how the mess were perceived entering this year, everything we just said is perfectly fine. Teams go through that all the time. The issue is they entered with the largest payroll we had ever yeah. seen coming off of a hundred win season, all that. If you didn't know that, this is a perfectly normal place for a team to be. But unfortunately, with the expectation, it just muddles it a lot more. Yeah, and I also, Sarah, if I'm the 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 Mets, I've talked to Tim about the all the hurdles that would be in front of a Scherzer trade or a, a Verlander trade. With Max in particular, I would also make all my decisions based on what's best for the Mets in 2024 with Max. In other words, if Max is you know quietly nursing some physical stuff, then I'd say, look, let's make sure you're right for next year if you decide to come back because he has a player option. If it makes sense to you know, limit his start to 75 pitches. And I'm just pulling these numbers out of the air. Whatever makes Max Scherzer potentially better for the Mets in 2024, that's the path I'm taking with him. What do you think? For sure. I mean, you know, I think overall anything decided from this day forth should be with an eye to next year, whatever is going to make the team be what people expected and probably hoped they would be this year. So if there's a way to help him be the Max Scherzer that he has been in past years for next year, that should absolutely be a goal. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So speaking of guys who the Mets might be listening on and certainly uh, might be having conversations about if they do go into Selma. Mark Cannon yesterday, I know the Mets lost, but he had three outfield assists. It was one of these crazy things where it just kept happening. So he was the first outfielder with three assists in the game since Joey Rickard in May of 2018 for Taylor's Orioles. So that's already a while, right? And four is the record for a nine-inning game. The last time four has happened, May 1st, 1928, by Sam Langford. 
So for all intents and purposes, three is kind of the uh, more modern record and also tied from the most uh, by any Met. The last Met to do so was Andy Chavez back in 2006. And Mark Canna had not had an outfield assist the whole year before last night, which is just one of those crazy baseball things. Number two. Number two is also going to be three because I want to talk about Self Relic of the Brewers who had a great debut on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I never know what day it is as well as Sabbath. <laughs> it's another it's another day of baseball. That's what it is, Sarah. Exactly. So we had three hits which were tied from the most by any brewer in his MLB debut with Steve Bowling in nineteen seventy six and Sixto Liscano in nineteen seventy four. But Freelich was the only one of those also multiple RBI and by the way, not in the box score. He made two incredible catches in one inning in that game. Just brought so much energy. We love to see a top prospect come up and live up to it at least to start. Number one. Number one is 36. So we're going to talk about Shohei Otani a lot. We already have this year and certainly over this next week and a day. Leading up to the trade deadline, we're going to hear his name a lot. So he hit his 36th home on Sunday. That one, I remember, it was Sunday. It was yesterday. And that is the second most home runs by anyone to also have 100 strikeouts on the mound in a season behind, of course, himself. In 2021, with 46, he is also third on the list with 34 in 2022. But I also want to talk about 36 because that would be the most home runs by a player in a season before being traded, if he were to be traded. And I don't think he will be. I don't see how you trade this guy the most home runs before being traded in the season wow. is 34 by Mark McGuire in 1997. And of course, the other sort of historical note worth uh, noting here is no player has ever won MVP in the season he was traded, which is more about the quality of players who are traded, and that makes sense. Oh, totally. No, I, I've stolen that piece of st- statistic from you a bunch of times already. Uh, so before you go, I, I, you know, I want to ask you about Raphael Devers wearing the microphone last night. It was so funny to see you know, members of the media complain about access. Uh, to me, I saw people were like, you're bothering him doing his job. And I'm just like, it's a long season. I loved Alex Cora when I interviewed him in game, basically saying that Rafi missed a couple of signs from the bench, you know, cause he was having fun out there, but man, he's such a joy. Like I love hearing his voice. I love hearing his enthusiasm. I thought it was one of the cooler ones we've done. I thought it was awesome. I mean, his excitement, the eye, eye, eye with the uh, pop up and yeah. everything. <laughs> well, he's a guy who I think, a lot of baseball fans, especially Red Sox fans, they know that he has this effusive personality. They see it on his face. 
but they don't necessarily hear it all the time based on post-game interviews and whatever. And post-game interviews are not the best forum to hear a guy's personality. Post-game interviews are, you know, what you see on that 3-2 pitch, what you hit for a home run. They're not necessarily a chance to get that personality out of those guys. And that's why I love these in-game interviews because this is the teammate that he is. This is the guy who Kike Hernandez is standing next to. This is the guy who Jaron Duran, Tristan Casas, now the guy who he is during the game. No, I love it. And I always say, I mean, these guys are such professionals. And again, I mean, to anyone who doesn't know how this works, he has to agree to it. Red Sox PR has to agree to it. Alex Gore has to say, yeah, sure, go for it. So it's not like someone from ESPN runs up to him, sticks the microphone on him, and says, okay. You must wear this. You must wear this, Rappy. Exactly. There's so much more that goes into it. And these guys are such professionals. They're so good at this. Yeah, I mean anybody, you know, uh, you know this. This is not. This is not the. Uh, you know what the players do in the field. It's not world peace talks. Okay, and and it was Alex Cora when we met with him before the game, and you know we said to him, "Hey, yeah, Rafi's wearing the microphone." And he was like, "All right," but he was excited because he knew he could see the personality and uh, he could see talk about winning. And I, what came out, I think he's in the conversation with you and Tim for the for the person who loves baseball the most. Because I remember once hearing a story, and I can't remember who told me this. It might have been a member of their coaching staff who said that, you know, if a, a, a game was played between, you know, the kids of the staffers at 11 o'clock in the morning before a night game, Rafi would be out there. Like, he loves baseball. And that's what came out for me. The, I mean, uh, you know, what he said was fun. But it was more, I was more interested in how he was just so excited between pitches. All the chirping he was doing between pitches was so fun. I mean, his face tells it all. That smile, that happiness, and just hearing all that and seeing it, I loved it so much. And again, he is a player who everyone knows is kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Everybody knows he's a happy player but to hear that from him and to really hear how he's approaching each pitch and what he's doing the chatting in between pitches as you said it was incredible and I just think baseball is way ahead of the game compared to other sports and giving us this kind of insight and this kind of access to players exactly all right Sarah thanks for doing this thanks so much for having me Lester over the weekend, Boog Shambi caught up with Francisco Lindor. Look, first place to start would be your guys' season. If you were to give me the 30-second version of what has taken place for the Mets and what can still happen, go. Um, inconsistency at the beginning of the year. Um, and it, it was like um, an uphill fight. And little by little, we're getting, we're getting to the flatter um, part of the year. So it, it's it's been a grind. It's definitely a, a, a a very a year that we all have been grinding all of us um one of the other things i wanted to yap with you about is uh yet a new shoe come out mm-hmm. you know in baseball you don't have a lot of guys that have their own shoe a signature shoe what was that like for you when you look around and see 
think back to guys like Jordan and LeBron or Katie or whomever. Yeah, it's extremely special. It's a blessing for sure to be able to, to have um, people that's not family members to wear a shoe that you design, that you that has all your ideas and it's inspired by you. It's a very humbling experience. Like I'll give you an example today. I went to a New Balance store. Um, we we in Boston, yep. and I went over there, and I saw someone wearing it. And to me, it's like I'm watching him walking around. I'm like, man, that's really cool. You know, it, it's special. And then I, of course, I go, hey, how you like those shoes? Tell me about it. Just be honest, please. Be honest. Um, and he went on to say nothing but great things. And I thank the good Laura and the New Balance family for for helping me have my own my own shoes. It's very cool. Um, last thing, uh, as a kid who was born in Puerto Rico and then went to high school in Florida, and then you came up through the Guardians Cleveland system. And then you're traded to the Mets. Explain to people who don't know what playing in New York is like. Um, playing in New York, it's probably one of the greatest cities in the world. It takes some time to understand. It's so result-oriented. And in baseball, we are, so, we are taught to trust the process, trust our routines, trust everything that's happening around us, and the results will be there. Once you get a handle of when they cheer you on, yeah, they're cheering Francisco Lindor, but it's mostly the result that Francisco Lindor put up. When they're booing um, Francisco Lindor, yeah, they're booing Francisco Lindor, but it's mostly the result. Until you understand that, it could be very challenging. It could be tough coming to work, you know. Once you get a handle of it, you know that you got to put your head down and work and work and work and work and work. And the results will be there at the end of the year. You just got to give everything you got. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a month. All right, I'm going to jump in and cut you off here. I just want to follow up on something I was saying to Sarah, this whole thing where people are complaining, especially in the media industry, about, well, interviewing players during the games, that that interferes with (laughs) – with their performance. And I thought about that because I saw some of that um, on Twitter last night and today. And I thought to myself, if that's the goal, if it's a journalist's goal or a, a, you know, a radio announcer's goal to not interfere with a player, Taylor, what do you think about this? I think if you're the play-by-play man for the Mets, maybe you should never be critical of a player ever because <laughs> he might get booed, Right. Or if you're a columnist and you're writing about a player, don't criticize him because you might affect what he's doing on the field. What do you think? Sounds like a slippery slope, Buster. I don't know. Sounds like a slippery slope to me. You know? <laughs> Whining about people talking with players. Yeah, yeah. Rafael Devers, he he had no problem talking about his favorite uh, flavor ice cream and, and catching a, a fly ball in, in a difficult situation and having fun all at the same time. Yeah, and Alex Cora, as I talked about, he knew this was going to happen, and he laughed at the fact that sometimes Rafael Devers was having a hard time multitasking. It's a long season. They'll be okay. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. And it was fun. I found it entertaining. I always find the in-game yes. interviews entertaining and informative. 
and they don't last very long either. Okay, you can mute your television. I, I don't know. I, I think acting like you're you're interfering with the, like the sanctity of the game. It's just a oh game. Oh my god! It's not a playoff game. It's fine. Relax, Jeez. everyone. All right, let's do some tweets here. Nicholas Rust writes in, absolutely love Taylor's homorific, homorific rundown on Friday's pod. Thanks, Nicholas. I would have totally done the same with my twins if given the chance. P.S. How about some love? MLB best eight and two since the all-star break. Yeah, Nicholas, they, they look like they're putting themselves in a great position in the American League Central. I keep on waiting for the Guardians to, to make their usual improvement and climb as we go along. But, you know, Shane Bieber's injury does not, uh, it's not bode well for Cleveland. Mm. Brian Roll at Baseball Brian 5 writes, and why does it seem like no one is talking about the Rays' quote-unquote collapse? Credit to the Orioles for playing so well, but don't the Rays have the worst record in July? Yeah, they haven't played well. I would say this. I don't know if it's as much a collapse as injuries. Tampa mm. Bay's uh, pitching staff injuries have been horrific. Steve Maff at smaff 7 writes in, if Otani is traded to an NL team at the deadline, how much does this hurt his chances to win the AL MVP award? Yeah, it's interesting because you feel like, let's say for argument's sake that Otani was traded today from an American League to a National League team. Is anybody close, do you think, Taylor, that no. would challenge him for America? I mean, I, I don't feel like, you know, I, I think Rutschman probably, right, is going to be a top 10 guy. Uh, I mean, uh, Bo Bichette, he's having a really nice season, but it doesn't feel like as it is in the National League where you got Ronald Acuna Jr. is clearly right now, I think, the front runner to win the MVP. But Corbin Carroll's having a great year. Mm -hmm. You know, Matt Olson's having a great – there are other guys who could step into that. I don't feel like that right now anyone's close to Otani. And what a testament to Otani that he could play two-thirds of a season in one league and still hang on and win the MVP. What a ridiculous yeah, tell me if I'm wrong. Am I, I wrong in that? Do you guys, Bruce, if you chime in, is there anybody in the American League who's even pushing him at all at mm. this point, especially with Judge being out? I don't think so, he's, man. He's in a league of his own. Uh, that's a all good question. Right if anyone has if, Bleacher tweeters, if you have thoughts on yeah. this, please let us know. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't feel like anyone's close to him. P.K. Steinberg writes in next. He says, AL uh, manager of the year is between two friends of the podcast, Bochi and Hyde. Who has the edge right now? Well, it's interesting because, of course, the Orioles, how many games did they win last year? 82? Did they win 83? Low 80s, games? yeah. Yeah, so if you were to go purely based on performance last year, this year, and that always seems like how the MVP award goes, um, then Bochi would win it because the fact that the Rangers, their, their win improvement is going to be staggering, it appears. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think if you win the American League East and you're with the Orioles and you, you know, you've got a $70 million payroll, to me, it would probably be Brandon Hyde. What do you think? Yeah, I think whichever of these teams wins their division, I feel like that's, yeah, the that's a good call. That's for, a great call for both of these guys. Yeah. Uh, last one for today, Brian BC. Castellato writes in, how high does Ryan O'Hearn rank as one of the best additions from this past offseason of Major League Baseball? Ryan O'Hearn has run Ryan Mountcastle off of first base for the Orioles. He's hitting over 300. Clutch hit. His, his home run yesterday, they said it on the broadcast, Kevin Brown, that it would have only been a home run in two stadiums. He, like, nicked the bottom of the foul pole. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's been remarkable. What's interesting, I remember... Uh, when he was going through arbitration and the Royals re-signed him. And I was thinking, why, why would they do that? You know, based on how he performed at the big league level. But uh, I think not only have the, uh, you know, the Orioles drafted at the top of the draft and done a great job picking guys like Adley, they picked the right guys, 
but they also have made some really nice additions of those fringy guys mm-hmm. who are, you know, have gotten better since they joined the organization. That's the sort of trait that's distinguished the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, you know, Cleveland, some of the better teams in baseball the last four or five years. Coach them up. Always know how to do it. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We will be back on Wednesday. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to uh, Bruce, to Taylor, to Sarah, to Tim. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.